Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank Radio Conversations in a Digital World presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and have we got a tasty topic for you. Oh, my, there's your clue. Grocery retail pioneers shaping the customer experience of tomorrow. This impacts you, whoever you are, wherever you are in the world. And let me read some opening quotes that will solidify what we're talking about today. I have a wonderful quote from a Forbes article from a while ago, but it's still very apropos. Listen up, everybody eats. Oh my. The act of buying food will never go away, but how we buy food will certainly evolve. The future of grocery is all about customer choice. The grocery store of the future will be much more focused on experience than just things. Just let that sink in for a second. I'm going to say digest that. Excuse the puns. I have another quote from Fast Company. Interesting. And the article is, This is what your grocery store will look like in 2065, and we can all ask the question, will there still be a grocery store? But let me just read a little bit from this quote. In the future market, that's a futurist food lab that explores the impact of food systems that will change over the next 25 years. It was a pop-up grocery store built in New York City in the summer of 2015. Very interesting. We're just going to leave that alone. Go find the article in Fast Company. Buzz number three, I had to bring in a little humor. Comedian Stephen Wright just celebrated his 66th birthday this week. We're at the beginning of December. I have to read the quote. Listen up. I went down the street to the 24-hour grocery. When I got there, the guy was locking the front door. I said, hey, the sign says you're open 24 hours. He said, yes, but not in a row. Okay, I had to let that sink in. And I have one more comment from the late comedian Mitch Hedberg, and then I'll get into our our real topic. He said, if you stand in the meat section of the grocery store long enough, you start to get mad at turkeys. Why? There's turkey ham, there's turkey bologna, there's turkey pastrami. Someone needs to tell the turkey, man, just be yourself. Okay, there you go. So that's the humor. Let me give you a setup here. The grocery industry is in the midst of an intense, prolonged period of transformation. Yes, yes, yes. Yet emerging from this change is a once-in-generation chance to leap forward for grocers to not just overcome today's challenges, but fundamentally reimagine the role they play in their customers' lives. That's you and me and everybody who's listening and my panelists as we all head into tomorrow. For years, what did grocers pay attention to? Making their stores visually appealing. You all know that. Where was the coffee? With the coffee grinder, with the smell. Where were the cinnamon buns? Where were the things that had a wonderful inviting odor? And then, literally overnight in spring 2020, and we all know what that was, that changed. Shifting suddenly to making a smooth online customer experience indispensable. Grocers are forced to find innovative ways to merge online and in-person experiences into new forms of what we like to call seamless shopping. Grocery retailers today are competing with chains, specialty stores, local farmers, and markets on a scale never seen before. What is happening? It's changing. And where is the opportunity? Grocers need to be able to take risks that previously would have caused, excuse me, indigestion in the boardroom. They need to seize the opportunities to build resiliency into supply chains and networks to turn last mile delivery into a margin boosting differentiator and to be more 
customer-centric. I'm done with this platform speech here. Let's get my two guests. We're on Zoom. I have the privilege of seeing them. Many of you will see the video. Capgemini's John Waymar. Welcome, John. How are you? I am great. How are you, Bonnie? It is great to be here with you. Thank you so much. And Randy Evans at SAP. Randy, I haven't talked to you in years, and this is the first time I'm seeing you. How are you? Good, Bonnie. It's uh, good to be on the air with you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we're talking today about grocery retail pioneers shaping the customer experience of of tomorrow. John Waymar, why don't you, Waymar, please do me the honor. Introduce yourself to our listeners, to our viewers if they see the video. Tell us what you do and what's your passion for grocery retailing. John, welcome. Well, thank you, Bonnie. So John Waymeyer, I'm an executive vice president with Capgemini. And over the past 25 years, I've been helping consumer companies around the world better their business with technology. And I'm excited about grocery because for the longest time, while technology and e-commerce and omni-channel commerce was taking over retail, everybody kept walking down to the corner grocer and going and shopping for groceries the way they had. The pandemic changed all that. People found out they liked it. And now there's an ultimate win-win. Consumers are gonna win, grocers are gonna win because digital grocery is gonna be good for everybody. Very, very interesting. And yes, there was a huge change and uh, some people got used to picking up groceries at a pickup point outside the store, right? Staying in your car and having everything delivered, which was probably being done before, but not in that volume. I had to get used to wearing a mask totally in the grocery store. And John, in my area here in Durham, North Carolina, we had many stores that had arrows on the floor. And a loudspeaker yeah. said, please follow the arrows. Go one way down this aisle. Go another way. Don't stand more than six feet close to the next person, wait until somebody moves down the aisle. We were really on on call for that for quite a while in 2020, and it it changed the experience. Thank you, John. So happy to have you here. Randy Evans, please do me the honor of introducing yourself. How the heck have you been, Randy? I'm doing great, Bonnie. It's good to be here. I'm Randy Evans. I'm an industry advisor with SAP. I focus on the food retailing industry. Been with SAP for almost 14 years. Prior to that, I worked for a grocer in South Texas called HEB, and before that with American Stores, which was the parent of Jewel in Chicago, Acme, Philadelphia, and the former Lucky Stores um, in California. I, um, this has been an amazing, an amazing two years. Um, the, the transformation that's in place today is just spectacular. Um, grocers slow walk digital because they didn't think they were going to make any money. And they found out that the consumer, it's one of those times when the consumer actually is winning the game because the consumer, because of the pandemic, made the switch and is now digital shopping. And grocers are left with, okay, how do we do it? We have to do it. It's not an option. So how are we going to do it? Um, so it's it's really Really uh, an exciting time to be in the, in the food industry. Thank you very much. And Randy, as my opening quote from, where was it, from Forbes said, we all have to eat and we're going to have to buy food somewhere unless you go to subsistence farming, right, gentlemen, unless you're actually growing That's it right. farm, farm to table in the farms in your backyard. So we have to. Very interesting. I understand that there were a lot of 
restaurants that were buying in bulk. That was what their supply chain was. And they were selling now, they're selling more a retail in bulk. Was that Did that happen, uh, Randy, you're aware of? Where what were they going to do with all that food? And so they were selling more retail, large restaurant-sized packages of food to customers just because the restaurants needed yep. to get rid of it. How, how well, much of a shock was there, that? To there's two... Go ahead. There's two sides to that. First of all, the the immediate collapse of food service because of the pandemic caused the grocery industry to get just blown out of the water with velocity because dinner now is at home and not out. Not out. But uh, the food service industry also realized they they had not really done the I'll say um, ready ready to eat meals. They were all about the experience in the restaurant, and they had to switch from restaurant meals to they're going to somebody's going to walk to the door and take the meal from them and take it to go so that that that's a different ballgame i also saw some really cool things happening like for example my former company heb contracted with multiple um, um food service restaurants in the austin area to help them stay in business so they actually took their products and displayed them and sold them in their stores, so they could. So they recognized that the, we didn't want the food service industry to collapse. We need it. It's a part of our culture. So it's really been an interesting time. Certainly has. Thank you, John. Any comments on that before we move to our opening quotes, John Waymar? Well, I mean, I think it was everybody could reflect and look back on it for a while. The grocery stores shelves got a little thin because it took just a little bit for that supply chain to take that volume that was destined for the wholesale big bulk stuff and get it on to the retail shelves and they made the switch but i think it's just a fantastic community story that randy's just told about how somebody that in some ways could see a competitor but understand that even in a competitor they need some collaboration. It's just a great story. Thank you very much. And now it's time for us to go to the opening quotes. I've asked my panelist, John Waymar at Capgemini and Randy Evans at SAP to please send me a quote from a fictional character from a movie or a TV show or a song lyric. And John Waymar has sent us a very interesting quote from the word. The song is Toes, T-O-E-S, is 2009 by the Zac Brown Band, American Country Music Band. It was their second number one hit. John Waymeyer, I'm just going to read the lines and let you explain what in the world it has to do with our, our topic today. You say, it says, I got my toes in the water, ass in the sand. Not a worry in the world, a cold beer in my hand. Life is good today. Life is good today. I hope I did justice to that, John. Talk to me. Where'd you find this one? Yeah. Well, I listen to Zach Brown. He's one of my favorites. But for me, why I brought it up is it paints a really vivid picture of somebody just sitting back in a beautiful place and not doing very much, just relaxing. And it takes that and it says, because I'm doing that, life is good. People today are prioritizing having a good time, having convenience, and relaxing. And that's what one of the trends is for grocery. So instead of up and down the aisles, putting together your list, 
and building your own meals. It's you want that meal plan done for you, the list pulled together, the things put into a bag and brought to your car at the curb or delivered to your door because you want to spend more time on the beach having a beer. <laughs> and you want to find a grocery store that sells your brand of beer. And you should see in my local Harris Teeter here in Durham, a certain part of Durham, North Carolina, John and Randy, you should see the wine and beer selection. It is rivaling what used to be a liquor store, what used to be a wine store. It is amazing what they carry. It's almost dizzying the variety. So that's where you're going to get your beer and go to the beach. Randy is next. Randy, I want to thank you for your quote. It's one of my favorite, very iconic. It's the number 35 on the American Film Institute's top 100 movie quotes list. It is from Chief Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider. The movie, of course, is Jaws, 1975 American thriller film. And I'm just going to say the line was famously ad-libbed into the movie by Roy Scheider because everybody was saying the producers were cheap and nothing was working. And here's the line. Everybody knows it. You're going to need a bigger boat. Randy Evans, thank you. Talk to me. How does this apply to our topic today? Oh, uh, it's it's a great quote. I had a I had it was a little bit tough to figure it out, figure out which one I wanted to use. I had several. I picked this one because if you if you remember the movie, Roy Scheider is hanging out the end of the boat. He's chumming to find the shark, and the shark comes out of the water and goes back into the water. The shark shows himself, and and in all of his magnificent thirty foot monstrous glory. Um, and I think the food industry just saw the shark. Um, as, the, as the pandemic started to accelerate, this, this digital shopping capability, the, the consumer has shown himself to the grocer, to the food retailer, because it's not just grocery. It's anybody that sells food for a living. Um, but the, the, the digital shark raised itself out of the water and said, this is what it could look like, and went back down below. So that, that kind of fits the topic today as we're talking about digital food retailing and what it means to the grocery industry. The grocery industry has just seen the shark. Randy, mark that down. That was a quotable <laughs> moment by Randy Evans. I want you to know that. Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate the quotes. Let's go to our roundtable now. I've asked each of my panelists to send me six, count them, six discussion statements, and here's what's going to happen. I'll read. John, I'm going to read your first statement first. I'd like you to unpack it, as they say on the news, and I'd like you to talk for about three minutes. And then, Randy, I will invite you in to agree or disagree. And Randy, John is in a very good mood today, and he said it's okay if you disagree. Okay, I just want to set the stage there. And then while that's happening, I'll go quickly back to John, ask for any comments, back to Randy, and then I'll pick a statement from you, Randy. I'll read it, and we'll go back and forth. Let's see how much of your wonderful information we can cover. So John has sent me the following for statement number one. Overall, he says, increased meals at home have driven a 10% increase in grocery with 39% growth contribution of online in the U.K., 18% in Europe, 40% in the U.S. Can you unpack that and almost put it on a visual verbal graph for us, please? John, go ahead. Let me give it a shot. So with the, the pandemic, people went out to restaurants less and they ate more meals at home. And as a result, they bought the ingredients for those meals 
at grocery stores, and everybody that was a grocer got to sell more. Now, the other change, though, was that the way they bought them increasingly became with an online order and curbside pickup or home delivery. Because if the grocers got 10% more business, the amount they were doing online went up, as you say, in, in North America, about 40%. So it is big. And what, you know, we talked about uh, the idea that grocers hadn't really come to the, the digital party. And to be fair to them, the consumers weren't really driving them to do it. And a lot of consumers thought that, you know, going to the grocery store once a week on Thursday, if they have the right deal, is... Uh, <laughs> Are you talking to me, John? I am talking to you. Thursday discount at your grocery store. That's you know, right. it, it was not a bad way to go. But then they experienced online and they said, we like this. And I go back to my toes quote. It gives us more time to sit on the beach or paint or do something that is relaxing. And so online has continued to grow. And now what's happening is people's expectations about online are just going through the roof. It's incredible now if you order something online and do curbside pickup, a recent poll of consumers found out if you have to wait more than two minutes after you tell the store you're there before they get it to your car, you start to feel like that's a long time. Can you believe that performance expectation? No. Two minutes. So no. that is that is just one of the things that you have to deal with. And, you know, if you're Target and you get to put everything in a box and you get to have all the boxes in one place, that's not such a big deal. But if you're a grocery store and you've got ice cream that's got to stay frozen and you've got uh, refrigerated goods that needs to be cold <laughs> and you've got other stuff that needs to stay warm yeah. and you've got to get all that together and you're not exactly sure when the customer is going to show up, that's a tough job. It is. I'm glad you explained that. I don't think people understand that. Two minutes, you sh you shocked me. I have never done the curbside pickup for grocery. Randy Evans, what do you think? This is interesting. Agree or disagree? I agree. I, I, I'm trying to find a way to disagree, but unfortunately, <laughs> I can't. I can't go there. Um, I agree with John. I think the the two minute number is interesting because it's the problem is it's two minutes sitting in your car. There's the difference in two minutes walking around a grocery store and looking at products and buying and selecting. It's the two minutes of doing nothing that causes that to be to exacerbate it, right? But I, I, I think that's a. Uh, it's it's a trend, but it's not a trend. It's a reality. It's 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 here to stay, and I I wholeheartedly agree that the. Consumption, the way the consumers are going to shop at food will be whatever they want it to be, right? Now, it's, it's, it's not just online because a lot of times we mistakenly think it's just online. It is whatever they want it to be. We're working on a, a concept we're calling the customer channel. And basically, we're saying, hey, food retailers, stop talking about channels and start talking about your customers. What do they want? And show up and give it to them. 
Very interesting. Thank you both. And, and John, I have to thank you for remembering. I met you on our prep call about a week ago, and I told you that Thursday is the day. When I moved here to Durham, I used to go Saturday evenings because I didn't know anybody. I'm single. I didn't have anything to do. I'd spend the evening walking around Harris Teeter looking at everything and, and asking the staff, can you tell me where the pizza is? Can you tell me? Just because they were friendly and they would walk all over the store to guide me wherever I need. I needed that stuff. And then I discovered that Thursday is 5% off day if you're, shall we say, older than the speed limit on the Long Island Expressway. I'm being very delicate about this because I'm a lady. And now on Thursdays, they have live music in the store in the aisle where the wine and beer section is at the end of the bar. They have prepared meals that are so good. I think it's ribs day on Thursday. The line is almost out the door. We waiting, people waiting to pick up whatever the is roast beef carving if it's if it's uh, ribs, and that's out the door. And so they put in some special features, and the tables are packed with people dining in near the bar on Thursdays. So they, to your point and Randy's point, they've created an experience, right? I can hear live music when I go to Harris Teeter on Thursday for my groceries and maybe see some neighbors. Okay. And and uh, it's just a, a nice experience. That's all. So thank you very much, John. Anything you want to say back to Randy before I move on? Randy, I'm looking at your statement number two next, but go ahead, John. Well, Randy and I, you know, get together quite a bit. So I know we're not perfectly aligned on everything. So I'm glad we found a good one to start with. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Randy Evans, let me go to your statement number two. This is very interesting. I know this is a, a passion of yours. You say fresh food is the new battleground. Online, digital-only retailers will invest significantly in on-premise solutions to address this. How is it the battleground? Randy, interesting. Well, if you think about your classic, uh, the past two years, or even five years, if you will, what are the, the, the areas where the classic grocer has excelled and given value to their customers is in fresh food. There's a butcher in the store. They're, um, they're creating meals, meal solutions. There's a whole, I mean, you just described your Terrace Teeter's uh, strategy for restaurants. They're providing meal solutions. And that center of the plate is that fresh food experience whether it's meat or produce or bakery, deli, seafood. This is a place where the grocer, the classic food retailer, has excelled for years. They know how to do it. They know how to order it. They know how to make it. They know how to create that experience. Whereas the the online retailer, um, that's a different story. They have to acquire it from somebody else. They don't really understand the nuances of two-day shelf life. and so subsequently, they've struggled with the highest quality and the perception of quality from a fresh foods perspective. Now, in order to, to rectify that, they're going to have to, and you can look at one of the biggest ones, probably the biggest one is the, the Amazon folks. What did they do? To rectify their gap in fresh food, they acquired Whole Foods. Because Whole Foods is really good at fresh food. That's one of their mainstays. So that kind of investment, the ability to say, okay, if I buy this stuff from somebody else, then I've got, I'm stuck with the secondary quality um, process. But if I make it myself, then I control it. I control the ingredients. I control the process. I have, I can, 
I can be better at it so that when you start to battle with those fresh food folks that are doing fresh food very well, you're able to actually step up your game. So that's, that's, that's why my prediction is that the online retailer will invest in on-premise retail simply to get that expertise at fresh food. Very interesting, Randy. I, I think outsiders to the industry would say, oh, look at them. They're gobbling up a player. Amazon bought Whole Foods. We're seeing this combination of corporate, of enterprise wealth, and they're just taking the, the opportunity for mom and pop. But what you're doing, what you're saying is that they're controlling the freshness because they basically, the old old uh, advertisement, we're getting up at four o'clock to make the donuts, right? They're, they have somebody right. who's do, doing that for them. I still can't stop thinking about that. It's four o'clock, got to make the donuts. John, any comments back to Randy? This is fascinating. Go ahead, John. Well, you know, <clears throat> I think the fresh foods piece is really at the heart of a bunch of different elements. So one is, you know, think back of when is the first time you heard farm to table, because it probably wasn't that that long ago. And it's all about the increasing almost obsession with freshness. But if I want to to look at that and say, you know, you maybe you went to a roadside stand when you were were growing up or, you know, 10 years ago to get that farm to table freshness. And you just thought, well, it's worth going to a dedicated place because I'm getting that freshness. But back to that expectations like we had at curbside, you now expect that freshness and that quality from your grocer. And Go ahead. Okay. So that is the, the part of I do believe that, you know, um, fresh food is a place where grocers will win or lose. Now, Randy and I might have a little bit of a, a debate on, well, is it? Is fresh food just produce or does it include meat too? Because I bet he would throw meat oh, in there. there's no doubt. The, the, <laughs> the, the butcher's counter has long been a differentiator in grocery. And I think the, the produce is catching up. Yes. And I will add that the seafood department in my Harris Teeter is one of, is the second busiest place next to the deli. And what's interesting to me is that the deli is the is the area I uh what was the name of the, I'm trying to think of the name of the gentleman who's the the manager there. He is constantly sweating and running around because yes, the hairnet and apron and all that. He, he they're cooking the food for the takeout in the yeah. deli department. The ovens are going, the boilers are going while his people are slicing the ham and the turkey and all of that. He is uh, I'm trying to think of his name. He, he won't. He doesn't know me, so it's okay. It's Kelly or something like that. But I constantly wait at the deli department just to get a half pound slice of. I won't tell you what I'm, what brand I'm buying, but it's a good high end. Uh, yes, honey, honey maple ham. I won't tell you who's. But my point is that they're constantly cooking and working back there. But. I go to the seafood department. There's about three guys there, and I will pick out which salmon, which grade, which level, which price, which whether it's farm or whether it's uh, you know the other raised. And I will sometimes I'll ask them what's the better one, and they'll say, "Well, you won't like this." They know me, and I will ask them to cut me two half pound pieces of salmon, wrap them individually. I'll have one that night and one will go in the freezer, and I'll air fry it. I have a great recipe if anybody wants it. But I expect John and Randy 
the people at that seafood counter to be ready to help me getting the freshest. Why would I bother getting fresh fish, right? I could buy frozen. I expect it to be fresh. I expect them to be courteous. I expect it to be wrapped effectively. Sometimes they use a plastic bag. Sometimes they just use the wrap. But it always is something that I value because I'm paying a lot of money for my fresh seafood. Randy, any comments about that? Can we add seafood to the fresh you're talking about? You, yeah, I, I did say uh, meat, produce, deli, bakery, seafood, right? Those okay. are the five, the, 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 the <clears throat> Pentagon. Um, and, and I think you just made my case, right? The case for that interaction, when you go to that seafood counter and you say, sell me something, right? Tell me what you want. I'll tell you that I want salmon. But you're going to be the one that drops into the species, the, the caloric value, the flavor profile, the, the refrigeration techniques. Those are, the all, those are all expertise that you can't get if you're buying it online. You, you've That's got true. to be standing in front of that seafood counter to be able to get that kind of service, which is why I, this, that was my point here, is that the classic grocer has a little bit of a lead if they're willing to take that digital step and digitize their perishable departments so that that online order can can come in, but it can also be a place where that, again, it doesn't matter where the customer wants to shop. You should be able to provide the same service regardless. And that's that's why I'm, my prediction is that the online retailers will be investing in bricks and mortar to ensure they're able to deliver on perishables. Thank you food. very much. Thank you. So can we, can we just stay with this thread for a, a little sure. bit? I mean, yeah, because Randy made a, a couple of points there I'd just like to, to build on. Please. So one, he, you know, was talking about at your store, they know you, but you have to be there and have gone through that interaction. And if they have the, the technology and with today's consumer more likely to give feedback than ever before, that digital relationship could actually be even stronger because what you've got is the good fortune to have a fantastic set of people behind that seafood counter that have great minds and engage you as a customer. Yes. And the things about remembering what you like and what's good and be able to make a suggestion that you're going to love, technology can actually get to be better than people at bringing that to the fore in the experience. So I just think it is a place where grocery stores are going to be able to differentiate and that by looking at every place they engage their customers, they're going to, that's why I call it a win-win. The customers are going to get a better experience. Well, I, I'll disagree with that because I don't Ooh. believe the technology can be better than people. If you have the appropriate training and the appropriate people behind the counters, there's no way technology is going to give you that personal service. So that, that's one thing. But the truth is, in any grocery environment, you've got a set of stores that are that store right there. They've got all the amenities. They're, they've, got, they've got the seafood department. But you've got a lot of other stores that don't look anything like that store. The, you, can, I, you know, I was a meat supervisor in East Los Angeles. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't have Aristeter-like stores in East Los Angeles. 
We had classic old school grocery stores that were 100% self-service. So in that context, there's where the technology takes over because I'm not getting that customer service level in those types of stores, but I can if I'm digitized. I can increase my, my expertise, my offering, and then subsequently the loyalty of my shoppers if I can digitally connect with them and give them recipes and give them advice. The same thing I would do if they were standing in front of me in a ca- with a counter. But I've got a lot of stores. I was with Lucky's and we had 240 stores in Southern Cal. We probably had 40 stores that met that Harris Teeter standard. And we had 200 that, that were classic, old school, self-service grocery stores. Those are That's where the technology can really take over and do a better job. John, rebuttal? Well, I mean, like I said, I, I predicted Randy and I aren't aligned on, on everything because <laughs> I, I, I will say when it just comes to remembering what you like and be able to make a suggestion, um, I would never say machines are better than people, but for that particular skill set of, of remembering something, they're pretty darn good. But it, as long as we're now, you know, disagreeing, I will, <laughs> I'll come up with a, a complication um, that comes with this freshness being an advantage. And that complication is with social uh, concerns becoming part of the reason a customer is going to make a choice, a lot more customers are starting to get concerned about waste and how can you reduce waste. And I mean, it's it's pretty shocking when when you're somebody that specializes in, I really have fresh food and it's none of it's more than two days old, the amount that goes to waste becomes very high. You know, you could be talking 40% and people start to say, ooh, that's not good. And you look for, well, what does that mean? And in some cases, it means that charitable things come to mind. You Mm -hmm. donate to food banks or shelters, which is all great. But another thing is a market has sprung up for ugly produce. So people will sign up to get produce at a reduced price that didn't pass that. It's not only fresh and flavorful, but it's gorgeous test. So, you know, two out of three isn't bad. And people take that up. Go ahead, Randy. Sorry, Bonnie, we're going to blow, we're going to blow up your agenda, but. That's fine. Um, No, here's another thing. Go ahead, because I sent both of you a news article about an app that people can sign up for past the sell date and ugly, ugly fruit and vegetables this morning, talking about waste and sustainability. Randy, well, chime in. Go ahead. So it's my, here's another one of my passions about the food industry. What, one of the things that happens in, in grocery retailing, I'll call it grocery merchandising, is the concept of visual selling, an end cap, um, a mm-hmm. side stack, a top view counter, an island case, a massive display of product um, to catch the consumer's eye so that you can say, please buy this. And I'm going to put a big sign on it and I'm going to drop this inventory and then I'm going to sell some of it, but not all of it. And when when grocers have the ability to predict, to get to use using tech, this is where 
technology comes in using machine learning and artificial intelligence with pr- predictive technologies, I can and and e-commerce or a digital relationship with a consumer, I can say, "Hey Bonnie, you 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 like salmon. I have a really good chance to buy some fancy salmon and it'll be here next Thursday. Would you be will would you would you like some?" And you say yes. And if I get all of my customers to tell me what they want before they show up, then I only have to buy what I need to sell them. I don't have to buy safety stock. Safety stock is there because I don't know what you want until you show up, right? Well, now I will know what you want. I'll have that on hand, but I won't have more than what you need, which means that I'm going to lower the amount of of shrink that I have. I'm going to be more profitable and I'm going to have... There's less, there's less landfill. And um, you can extrapolate that on both sides of the supply chain. There's less destruction at the end of it, but there's also um, an equitable harvesting process where I'm only taking the, the, the product that I need, not what I want. And it's a different concept. And that's, that's just going to get better and better and better and better as we get better at, at predictive and, and um, personalizing our relationships with our customers. There you go. And it's a, it's a participatory uh, collaborative effort, isn't it, Randy? I have to tell you, right. yes, I'm in the market. You say, I have that salmon. I'll say, I want it. When is it available? Next Thursday at 3 o'clock. Sorry, I can't come have my hair done that Thursday afternoon. Can I get it at 5 o'clock? Yes, Bonnie, we'll reserve it for you. We'll save it for you. Pick it up, and David in the seafood counter will hand you that salmon. It'll have your name on it, Right. All of that That's has right. to happen. It it sounds like a lot of work, but it sounds like I would well, I would sign up they, for that though. I would. It hasn't it hasn't happened in the past because grocers looked at it and said, We wish we could do that, but we would have to hire so many people yes. to manage that yes. manually that we won't we can't do it. It's impossible. Well now we're talking about asking the technology to take a portion of the work, the administrative work the tough work and do it. It's do it automatically do it as my colleague Proffel likes to say automatically. And the next thing you know, you've got this kind of synchronization that's happening, but it's not, it's not being manhandled by, by a person. It's, it's, it's facilitated with technology. That's Mm -hmm. the difference is we can do it now with some semblance of accuracy and and actually deliver it. And then again, enhance that relationship with the shopper. You think about Harris Teeter is, they're, they're the, they're, you'd never shop anywhere else. Not now. I've tried other stores during the pandemic. So there, there I, it is. You, they've, they've established a relationship with you. And That's what we're after. Randy, I have a loyalty card with them, and I get a special offer every, usually it comes Friday the day after I shop on Thursday, hello, and it Ah, says, this is on sale, this is on sale, this is on sale, that's on sale, and it's the things that they know I have bought that have been linked to my loyalty card when I, you give them your VIC card, they scan it in, and everything goes into your account, and they know, but I still have a gripe with grocery stores, the cocoa, the dry cocoa and the chocolate syrup are on the high shelf. I'm five foot one. Even with my little my drummer boots on, I'm maybe five foot three. I can barely well, reach that top shelf. Here's here. So once again, why are you having to to buy it that way? It's a dry good. Why can't you tell them, hey, I'm going to buy cocoa, and they just pack it for you? 
so that there's no you jumping up and down, right? You don't need to see the cocoa. <laughs> the cocoa is the same. Every single store that has Hershey's co- dry cocoa, I'm yeah. not sure that's the That is, that is. It's all the same stuff. So yep. why do you need to display it? Why do I need this visual display way up there to get you to buy it? Isn't that interesting? Did the, You know what? I want to move on because we're actually only on 15 minutes left. We are covering. I love the way this is going because the two of you are so engaged in the topic. And this is what people want to hear. But John Waymeyer, I want to go to your statement number two because this is interesting. We haven't talked about price yet. You say 56% of consumers are more price sensitive in 2021. Two more coming. 26% look to save money while expecting better quality. Hello to that. And during 2020, dialing back a year, over 70% of consumers, uh-oh, tried a new grocer. Yes, I went to Publix a couple of times because I could shop there on Sunday and it was less crowded than Harris Teeter. There you go, Randy. John, regale us. Talk to me. Well, there. I mean, so, you know, I think that one is... When you started to go online and there was uncertainty because of the the pandemic, that kept price in everybody's focus, you know, because, well, what's the future going to be? I do need to think about how I spend my money. And the idea that you used to walk through your grocery store and fill that cart for free, or you still do, um, but and that the grocers had to pay somebody to do that did not register with consumers as a real reason to increase costs. And if I'm going online, the idea that the grocery store is just not right down the the street isn't so important. So it gave the people, you know, there's a connection between expectations on cost and that willingness to try a new grocer that they go together. So grocers were hit with a construct of, we've got to provide these new services. And while we're providing this better service to the customer, they want it for less. And the market supported the customer in this. So while (laughs) the customer didn't just want the idea that they would get this service bundled in with no additional cost, and use that digital flexibility of being at my desk and my browser can go to 20 different stores to shop for price to their advantage. And it it all came together. And so making money in the grocery business became tough. Volume went up. You were, you were going to be able to sell something and you used the new models and you were going to get some business. But the key is you need to make money at that. And you need to provide a good experience to get the opportunity to keep doing it. Thank you. All tied in together. Price, profitability, good experience. Keep the customer coming back. Randy Evans, thoughts? It costs you $6 to select a grocery order. If you're the the grocer, you're going to select it. You've got to pay the the help to go, go to the aisle, get the product, put it in a shopping cart, bag it. And go and, and take it to either the pickup point or to a home delivery. Cost you another three to four dollars to deliver it. You just added ten dollars to your order. That ten dollar margin you've got to make up. You've got to either raise your prices, raise your your gross margin to cover that additional expense, or you've got to 
reduce your expenses internally to, to be able to afford that $10 charge without charging the customer for it, right? And, and the, the, the escalation in grocery digital shopping exposed that big time. You're right, John, grocers are, had more revenue, more sales, but their margins dropped. Their per, margin percentages dropped, right? Which is the kiss of death. You have to fight that. Um, so one of the things that, that it's, it's, uh, it's a part of this conversation is you have to be able to say, where can I save money? How can mm-hmm. I do a better job at managing my process so that my, uh, my ability to, to remain, to actually excel the margins on delivered and um, buy online, pick up in-store orders um, is all embedded in inventory, in um, relationships with you, well, well, all that we've just talked about, right? If I know that Bonnie's going to have these things on her list and I'm able to predict that and then subsequently acquire the product in a much more efficient way, then I'm not going to, st- I don't need to stock it necessarily. <clears throat> Think about stocking. Grocers stock shelves and then go back to the shelf and remove the product from the shelf. That's, that's insane. That's the epitome of supply chain suicide because you're double dipping. You're handling it twice. So the ability to move into this digital world to become customer, you know, move the customer channel, move to the customer channel, and then focus on um, finding efficiencies that will allow you to, to remain profitable, it's, it's not an option. The other thing that you got to at least talk a little bit about is inflation. Um, we are in the midst of unbelievable increases in food prices. I paid $10 a pound for bacon last week. For bacon, it's a staple. You, you got to buy it. <laughs> but it's $10 a pound. You got to buy it. <laughs> my, somebody, in my household, somebody in my household insists that I get bacon twice a month so yeah i i get it 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 is a staple it, it's it's great with wraps and eggs but, never mind i know that ten dollars you're it's again it's more revenue but not necessarily more margin and it it's it's also establishing that relationship with your consumer hey these people can't afford this stuff if you have a store in a low-income area how are you going to help them yeah right I mean, that's yeah. it's just part of the deal Randy, we're talking about fresh food and pickup and experience and all that. I'm remembering way back when I was first married, and I won't tell you which decade that was, but it it ain't any time recent. And we went on a honeymoon. We drove down south from, we were living in New Haven. He was at Yale. I was at Sarah Lawrence. And we we drove down south for uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. And on the way back up, we found somebody who was selling slab bacon. And they Mm. sliced it for us right there at the roadside stand. And then we stopped off at a place and had got strawberries. The strawberries were this big. They were the size of a Dixie cup. And we took, I still have pictures of, of us holding the strawberries. It was hard to hold the strawberry. That probably was the early version of, right? Uh, well, farm stand, but the early version of curbside picking up your food. Gentlemen, we have a, just a couple minutes left. And I wanted to add one more topic. There was something very intriguing to me in, uh, in John's statements you sent me before the show. Let me just read this and then we'll wrap up. You say share of store fulfillment rose by four. in 2020, including ship from store, here's where I want you to talk, as well as dark stores that cater to mid to high density zip codes. John, what's a dark store? Enlighten me, please. 
Okay, well, a dark store is for online business only. And I don't know, you know, a lot of people might not be aware of it, but in the early 2000s, people, there were a few companies that built massive warehouses for groceries, believing that groceries would go online and they would have all this efficiency and not do the things that Randy talked about, about putting it on a shelf and take it off a shelf. And it didn't work. People were not ready to take that grocery shopping experience online. So then some companies, though, like Whole Foods, for example, figured out that, well, when you get people and you create the relationship and they trust your product because they walk your stores and you can take them online, that's great. But when online is a small part of your business, the most efficient way is to source that from your store. So you take that order and you fill it by going to the shelves and picking it back off. However, once you get to a certain point, the efficiency gains you get by just having a place that's automated. You don't have to worry about you getting in the way of your customers or your customers getting in your way. And you can do that. Then at a certain scale, it starts to make a lot of sense. And that's what dark stores are. And that's why they're in high density zip codes, because you need that volume of business of people that want something delivered that's going to give that dark store the scale it has. But right now, people are only really trusting the brands they know they can walk the aisles and not really going just 100% online. So those dark stores are generally owned by somebody that has a typical grocery retail. Thank you, John. Randy, any comments on that? We're just about ready yeah. to wrap up. Go ahead. So a dark store in classic sense is I got a store that's underperforming. It's in an area that's centrally located. I, I stop selling to consumers, but I keep the store together and I use it to become my fulfillment center for my e-commerce orders. It's a, it's a great concept because it's using your own assets without spending bil- millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I think, um, I don't know what the number is, but Kroger invested in Ocado, substantial money in building distribution centers. Um, but what, what's missing in that context is perishables, right? And so we've got, some, we've got some customers in Europe that are using this concept of dark store, but it's not a dark store. It's the, it's the store, but they're putting fulfillment, bolt-on fulfillment centers on the backs of those stores. So they're pulling the groceries that are going to, the, the dry groceries into the fulfillment centers. They're using robotics and, and automation to take the cost out. But when they need perishables, they're going to the meat department. They're going to the produce department and fulfilling those requests from digital orders with actual products produced at the store. I think it's kind of a hybrid of dark store fulfillment store. And, um, and it's, very successful and and dealing with the velocities and I you know it's a, it's it's excellent Thank you very much. I want to thank both of you for a very interesting conversation. We didn't follow along with the statements you sent, but I just scanned them. We covered everything and more. So, John Waymar, thank you so much. I keep calling you Waymar, Waymar. I hope you accept. I've just been smoothing over your name, and I it's way 
Meyer, M-I-R-E. I want everybody to know that. Randy Evans, thank you so much. I have a shout out to Brian Doherty, who's sitting here in the background on Zoom, keeping an eye on us. I hope you liked what we talked about. Thank you to our engineers at Voice America. We had a combination of Matt and a newcomer to the engineer staff at Voice America. Gabe is with us today. So thank you both to both of you. And I want to thank Mickey at Hot Fusion for helping put this together. Jessica Schubert at SAP. And of course, again, Brian Doherty at Capture. Gemini. Randy Evans, such a pleasure to see you again. And I appreciate it. You're, you're on the waterfront somewhere. I wanted to know about those boats. If anybody sees the video, he's in a it's the uh, where is it? SAP offices in Newport Beach, California. Absolutely lovely. We're going to come there and have dinner with you there soon. Sure. And John yeah. Waymeyer at Capgemini. John, such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you both for sharing your expertise. This has been a learning experience for me, and I have a feeling for a lot of our listeners, everything we said, I think, will resonate with people. Don't you think, John, that we're all buying groceries, buying we food? We all eat. That was, that's how you started with the quote. We, we, we all have to eat. So. That's it. I'm going to predict that we're going to have a part two for this show sometime in 2022. And if we don't do Beautiful. it here on Think Tank, you're going to both come on and bring a couple more friends to talk about this on My Technology Revolution, the Future of Now show. So I'm pre-inviting you. Happy holidays to everybody. Bonnie D. Graham Thank signing you. off for another episode. Don't go away. Think Tank. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Bye, John. Bye, Randy. See you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.